Please turn me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. Acts 18, 24 through 28. Now please remember the book of Acts focuses on the ministry of God the Holy Spirit through His faithful people. So far in Acts, we have seen the start, the rise, and the amazing spread of the church. And guess what? The wicked one hates it. And so Satan has brought great opposition and intense persecution to the church. But even so, the church thrives as God works mightily through his faithful, passionate, and obedient people. And since chapter 13, we have seen the Apostle Paul take the lead on two different missionary journeys. And now, Paul has begun his third missionary journey. Last time we saw Paul retracing some of the steps of the previous missionary journey, strengthening those existing churches as he makes his way back to Ephesus. Here in verse 24, we now turn away from Paul for just a little bit, and we find ourselves back in Ephesus, where Aquila and Priscilla, that godly ministry couple, has been left behind to minister to the new Christians in that city. Let's go ahead and find out what happens. Verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, remember, Ephesus was a famous seaport city, and it was the most important Roman commercial city in Asia Minor as well as being the capital of Ionia, which is modern-day Turkey. And look, at this time, Paul is slowly making his way back to Ephesus as he strengthens the churches along the way. And Aquila and Priscilla have been left there to faithfully minister to that young church. It's not easy. Uh, Teaching, evangelizing, discipling, dealing with sin and the tragic effects of sin, battling spiritual immaturity, all this and more with only 24 hours in a day. But as we have seen, godly Aquila and Priscilla are up for it as a team together for the glory of God and for the good of His people in Ephesus. And it was during this period of time when Paul left them there and before Paul was able to return back there that this man named Apollos shows up to the city. Now, the name Apollos means destroyer. That's a great name. And it's a very fitting name for this man who would become a destroyer against the wicked one as he grew and glorified God with his life and ministry. As we see, Apollos was a Jewish Egyptian from North Africa, the city of Alexandria in North Africa. Now, the city of Alexandria had a very large Jewish population, and so it makes sense that Apollos played a significant part in the life of the synagogue there. Question before we go any further, was Apollos saved or when was he saved? Commentators are very divided about this. Some say that he was saved before he came here to Ephesus and he just needed some discipling. While others say that he wasn't truly saved until Aquila and Priscilla met with him 
here in verse 26. I believe that he wasn't saved until verse 26. And while all of the things that were said about him before he was saved are great things for every Christian to pursue, I don't believe that he became a true Christian until he met with Aquila and Priscilla. Verses 24 through 26 tell us a few qualities about this amazing man. So let's look at them and let's be challenged as we contemplate our own Christian faith. First look, verse 24 says that Apollos was eloquent and mighty in the Scriptures. That's a good thing. The word eloquent describes someone who has attractive and convincing speech. Someone who is skilled Someone who's a good orator, someone who has good knowledge, but who's also able to communicate that knowledge persuasively, articulately, powerfully, and inspiringly. See, we would have all loved to have heard Apollos preach, for he was a top-notch speaker and preacher, and he was probably without equal. On top of that, look, Apollos, it says, was mighty in the Scriptures, You say, well, John, doesn't that then mean that he was a Christian? Not necessarily. Because the Scriptures that he would have been mighty in were the Old Testament Scriptures. And that's wonderful. I mean, that's something we should uh, uh, that, that should describe every Christian today because we know that the Scriptures are the very Word of God for us as children. And look, they're inspired of God, right? The old and the new. And they're powerful. They're living. They're effective. And they mold us more and more into the image of Christ. And There's no reason why this can't and why this shouldn't describe all of us in Christ today. Isn't that true? Unless, of course, we're just lazy. Unless, of course, we're just unfocused and worldly-minded and and, and sidetracked. Otherwise, this should indeed describe every Christian more and more and more. Why? Because we love God, right? Because we long to know Him better, more of Him. And the way we know God Better is to know His Word. See, the way we know the God of the Word is when we know the Word of God in growing measure. See, the Word is our spiritual food, and food is very important. All the more, and the more spiritual food that we gobble up, the healthier we'll become, as long as we're intent on having it go from our head to our hearts and then out through our lives, of course. But this is indeed what Christians who love God seek after, to become mighty in the Scriptures, because again, we love God, see, and we want to know Him. The word mighty is the Greek word dunitas, from which we get the English word dynamite. And so as one said, Apollos was, was an exploding kind of person when it came to Scripture. And I, I want that said about me. Uh, and note that it's not easy. I mean, it takes commitment and dedication to be mighty, powerful, skilled, well-trained, and proficient in the Scriptures. But oh, how worthwhile it is. So how does that happen? By reading it more. By studying it on your own more. Listening to trusted teachers explain it. Going to Bible study. And seizing upon the many opportunities that you have to ingest Him and His truth into your head and into your heart. What about you? Hey, being mighty in the Scriptures is really up to you because the resources are here for you to be powerful and proficient in God's all-sufficient Word. And note this, you will never regret that you read and studied God's Word too much. See, no true Christian will ever say on their deathbed, oh, I have so many regrets, I wish I had been less mighty in the Word of God. 
I, I wish I had read and studied the Word of God less. I, I wish I would have known less of the Word of God. No, no, no. No Christian would ever say that. But they have and will regret that they didn't give themselves enough to this. May that not be said of us. So Apollos was mighty in the Scriptures, which again would have been the Old Testament Scriptures. So he was a true good Jewish man who intently studied and knew the Old Testament, the Word of God. That's very good. And how much more us today in Christ who have the complete revelation of God. What else about Apollos? This, he was instructed in the way of the Lord, verse 25. Now the Greek word for instructed is the word katecheo, which is a word that we get catechism from. It means to teach orally by repetition, where you read a question and then you answer the question. So Apollos was well instructed in the Word of God, and he could recite it back to anyone who asked him. And that's good. I mean, it can't end there, but it's very good to know the facts about the Word of God. I mean, memorizing verses, that's good. Memorizing the kings and and the judges, memorizing books of the Bible, that's good. Memorizing the facts of the Bible are, are very good and very helpful, as long as it doesn't just end in the head. And it seems clear that it certainly didn't. And in the head of Apollos. No, but it it took deep root into his heart. Notice that it says that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. What's that mean? That's a way to refer to Old Testament truth. See, the way of the Lord is an Old Testament concept where God had laid out the path that was filled with his ethics, his morals, his standards, and it was a very general thing. However, as time went on, it became more focused. As Isaiah 40, verse 3, shows this focus when it says this. The voice of him who cries in the wilderness, talking about John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so the way of the Lord starts narrowing down to the Messiah. So as one noted in the Old Testament, the way of the Lord is a broad system of rules and regulations. But it starts zeroing in in Isaiah 40 toward an individual who is going to announce the Messiah's coming. Again, John the Baptist. We're going to look at that in just a second. But look, if Apollos was instructed in the way of the Lord, then he would have been instructed in all the body of the Old Testament. And if he was instructed fully in the way of the Lord, then he would have known about the ministry of John the Baptist. And many believe that Apollos had been a student of John the Baptist. And as we're going to see in a second, Apollos knew only of the baptism of John. So, He was still waiting for the Messiah to come. Now think about that. I mean, it's been over 20 years since John the Baptist died and since Jesus died and rose from the dead. And Apollo still only knows about the ministry and baptism of John the Baptist. Think about that. I mean, Apollos knew and accepted the Old Testament all the way down to the fulfillment of it in John the Baptist. He accepted the message of John the Baptist, that the Messiah was coming. And look, he even accepted the fact that Jesus was that Messiah. Well then, isn't that a Christian? No! Because it seems that Apollos doesn't know about the cross or about the resurrection, which are kind of important in the gospel message. More on that in a second. What else about Apollos? This, he was fervent in spirit. Which again is a great quality to have, especially for us in Christ today. Literally in the Greek, he was boiling in the Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, but 
but in the human spirit. In other words, this guy, Apollos man, he was passionate. He was full of fire. He had a flaming heart. He was zealous and he was eager and he was fired up. And in context, it was for the things of God and for teaching the truth of God. Now again, he doesn't know the true and full gospel yet, but he's certainly passionate about the truth that he does know. And how much more us today who know it in all its fullness and who know it in all its glory. I mean, come on, if Apollos was burning, then man, we should be exploding. Exploding with love for God, with passion, with gratitude, with zeal that wants to greatly glorify God with the precious time that we have left. Why? Because we know, right? We know about the cross and the resurrection and what that truly means for our desperate souls. What else matters? Look, as Christians today, fervency, zeal, passion, diligence should be normal terms used to describe us because we have Christ and we know the truth and we're saved and We have His Spirit, and we've been forgiven of all our sin, and we're saved, and we're going to heaven, and we know it. Result, fervent in spirit for God and for the glory of God. That makes sense. What about you? Come on, away away with with flickering, mediocre, convenient, worldly, half-hearted Christianity. We don't want that here, and it's the last thing that we need. No, we want fervent Christians here. We want people who are fired up for God and for His glory and who, where, where earnest love and zeal compels us to get on with the God-honoring, time-redeeming, Christ-exalting, Spirit-led, fruit-bearing, sin-fighting, God-pleasing life because He's certainly worthy of that from us. Look, the Bible uses many terms to describe what Christians should be about. Steadfast persevering, abounding, enduring, overcoming, diligent, eager, focused, continuing, fervent, immovable, pressing on, committed, hardworking, faithful. On and on it goes. What about us? Bloody Mary was Queen of England in 1553. Mary hated the Protestants and so she sought to do away with them as best she could. And so she went after the leaders, the preachers of the Protestant church. Although she also put 55 women and four children to death for their faith. The plan was simple. Make the English reformers of the church recant or else put them to death by burning them alive. One of the men that was put to death was a man named John Rogers. Rogers assisted Tyndale in bringing out the English Bible. An incredible work. And because of that, he was a marked man for Bloody Mary. Rogers was the first to be brought to the stake under Mary, and on the morning of his death, he was hardly able to get dressed because he was rushed out so quickly. He was then led to the place of his death, which was within sight of the place that he preached, and as he was walking, the people from his church, along with his wife and ten children, stood by the wayside. Look, as he was walking to the stake, he kept repeating one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 51. And he went to his death, as a, and I quote, as if he was walking to his wedding. He was then tied to a stake and burned for preaching the truth. But guess what? Christ is worth it and more. 
And Rogers was a burning fire of a man for the glory of God in his life. And when the fires burned his body, they couldn't extinguish the fire for God that filled his soul. And shouldn't all of us in Christ feel and live that same way? We have him. We have Christ. We have life. And he's worthy of our lives. Hey, if Apollos was fervent in spirit, how much more us today who know the full truth about Christ and what he did to rescue us from hell and from eternal wrath. Lord, help us. What else about Apollos? This He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. And this is one of the things that his fervency in spirit compelled him to do. He, he, he was speaking and teaching the things of the Lord accurately. Accurately means with exactness, which is a great thing. Now that doesn't mean that he had full information. We know that he didn't yet. But what information he had, look, he made sure that he got it right. And isn't that the way it should be as we approach the Word of God today? I see it all the time where preachers of the Bible and teachers are sloppy with the Word of God, which is bad for everybody. I even remember being in class in Bible college where the professor taught exactly the opposite of what the Bible meant when it was written. And instead of approaching the text for what it means... He had his mind made up, made up for what he wanted it to mean. And what he wanted it to mean was the opposite of what it really meant. I saw it in the first sem- seminary that I went to as well. And I see it happening all the time in, in pulpits today. And it's appalling because God deserves much better. John MacArthur likens it to a surgeon. He said, uh, says that if you got sick and you needed major surgery and you, you, you go to the doctor, you want to know that the doctor knows that that the doctor knows what he's doing with that scalpel. And when you get on that table and they knock you out and you're lying there and people are doing all that stuff to you, you want to know that somebody knows what's going on. He says physicians work hard at their trade because it's a matter of life and death. Likewise, if a doctor can get that serious about the physical life, then a person who teaches the Bible shouldn't be one whit less serious about dealing with spiritual realities. He's right. MacArthur adds, I should be just as careful in my teaching of the Word of God as a physician is with a scalpel when only a thread exists between life and death, for that's the kind of exactness that this book demands. And he's right. He's right. Why? Because this is God's Word that we're talking about, and we should treat it with reverence. We should treat it with precision. I mean, don't we want to get it right? Hey, God has spoken to us. What a gift. And we do well to truly know what he said. So Apollos is a good example for all of us because he taught with exactness the things of the Lord. Now think about that. Jesus is the Lord. And so Apollos talked about the things. He taught the things of Jesus. Okay, so you say, well, he's a Christian then. I mean, he must be a Christian in order to teach with accuracy and exactness the things of Jesus. Again, not necessarily because, again, Apollos only has partial knowledge and partial information. See, Apollos had come to a place where he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, which is right on. I mean, Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Deliverer, the set-apart one who came to rescue the needy and the oppressed, us. But look, Apollos stopped short of the cross and the resurrection. And again, the cross and the resurrection are kind of important See, the end of verse 25 says that even though he taught accurately the things of the Lord, look, he only knew about the baptism of John. 
All right, what does that mean? Turn over, if you will, to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Mark 1, 1 through 5. Mark begins his gospel by talking about the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it's written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face and who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now here Mark basically says, hey, it's all about Jesus, God the Son, And now that that's clear from the get-go, and I'm going to expound on that in my book, in my gospel, let's look at what happened right before Jesus came onto the scene. See, just as kings at that time always had a forerunner who announced their arrival, so too did Jesus have a forerunner. I mean, no king just showed up and said, hey everyone, here I am. No. He had someone who would come before him and prepare the people for his arrival. The king is coming! Get ready, clean your house, put on your nice clothes, prepare yourselves for the king. And like that, Jesus had someone who would prepare the people for his arrival onto the scene as was predicted in the Old Testament. And so in verses 2 and 3, Mark quotes from Malachi 3.1 and from Isaiah 40 verse 3, which we already looked at, to show us that the ministry of the one who would prepare the way for the Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament and he would be the one to prepare the way for the Lord. Note how this forerunner is called my messenger, which shows us that he comes with a message from God. See, this message will prepare the road for Jesus to walk and to minister on. And as roads at that time were very poorly maintained, and as any coming king who would be traveling on that road would send some people ahead of him to make sure that the road was free from rocks and from other debris, so too would this messenger remove the spiritual hindrances in the hearts of the people so that they'd be ready to receive Christ and His divine message. So John would prepare the people, he would soften up the people, and he would help the people be ready for what Christ was going to bring and for what Christ was going to preach. And look, this messenger would be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, verse 3. So first, this forerunner is going to make certain that the roads were passable. That there would be no delays when the king passed through, but instead he would have a clear, open route through the kingdom. And then second, the forerunner would let people know that the king was coming. He was to go along the route before the king came through, yes, and he was also supposed to tell the people to get ready for the king like a voice crying in the wilderness. So John the Baptist's ministry is in fulfillment of prophecy. It authenticated who Jesus was as both Messiah, Deliverer, and God and are prepared for the beginning of Christ's official ministry. So, how would John do that? By preaching baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The word repent means to not just be regretful or to be sorrowful about something, but it means to turn around, to change direction, to change the mind, to change the will from wrong to right, from sin to righteousness. And so, Here John came onto the scene telling the people to turn away from their sin and to turn to God, and he's getting people ready for the ministry of Christ, see. But John John didn't just say to repent, but he also baptized people, and that describes how John prepared the way for Christ. 
He came baptizing, offering a ceremonial washing that confessed sin, and that then did something to demonstrate that true repentance. Now, baptism means to immerse, and the symbolism was absolutely wonderful. See, For a Jew in John's day to submit to baptism was essentially to say, I confess that I am far away from God and I need to get right with Him. I need cleansing. And baptism expressed the repentance in that person's heart. Note that water baptism at this time wasn't an entirely new concept. Historically, Gentiles who had been converted to the Jewish religion were baptized, immersed in water, since they were considered to be unclean. But John's baptism was different even from this because his baptism wasn't for the Gentiles, no. But it was for the Jewish people who were sinful and unclean before God. And again, it was all preparation for the coming ministry of Christ. So that when Jesus came onto the scene, these people are already softened for what he's going to say and for what he's going to do, see. And so John sought to clear men's hearts and uh, of the obstacles that kept them from the true king of kings. And so he preached and he baptized with repentance in mind because repentance was the way that the people would be amply prepared for Christ. You picture him? He's crying out to the people. He's shouting with great urgency. He's commanding the people to prepare for the Lord, to repent, to be ready when he comes. He's saying, the Messiah is coming. Are you ready? The Savior Your Savior is coming. You need to straighten out your crooked hearts. You need to get the way uh, uh, into your heart prepared for the coming of the Lord. Your Savior is right around the corner. Have you repented? Are you ready to see Him? Your Deliverer will soon be arriving. Is Is your hard heart softened so that you can hear Him and follow Him correctly? Are you really ready? You need to be ready. And then he's baptizing these people, allowing them to respond to what he's been saying. And so the people were getting ready for the Messiah. They were getting ready for Jesus. And so look, Apollos believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was ready for the Messiah, eager, repentant, looking. But look, he didn't know that Jesus the Messiah had come, died, risen, and ascended into heaven. All he knows is the baptism of John, and that's it. I mean... He's just this amazing, repentant, Old Testament saint living in New Testament times over 20 years after Christ died and rose from the dead. And again, he doesn't know. That's amazing. Note that some say that because Acts is a transitionary book that Apollos could have been saved in the same way that people in the Old Testament were saved. By God's grace, through faith, in what God had revealed to them because of what Jesus would do for them on the cross in the future. But look, it's been over 20 years since the cross. And if you say that Apollos was saved even though he didn't know about the cross and the resurrection of Christ, then where do you draw the line on that? See, biblically, since Christ, the cross, and the resurrection... People are saved the same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which includes his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and that's it. And therefore, I don't believe that Apollos was a saved man yet, even though he's an amazing man, and even though he's an example for most of us as Christians today. And this is why we're called to go out and preach the gospel to the many lost souls around us. 
Because biblically, the only way to be saved is to know the full truth about Jesus and then surrender to him in repentant faith. That's it. And being good doesn't save you. Right? Being sincere doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. Saying a bunch of prayers doesn't save you either. No. Jesus alone saves you by grace through faith in him. His person and his work. And you got to know that. People say, it's all about Jesus and we love Jesus here. That sounds really good. But I need to know, what Jesus are you talking about? Because you can say that all you want, but what if you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible? (laughs) What if you don't know who Jesus truly is and, and what he did and what that truly means? What if you only have partial information about Jesus or faulty information about Jesus? What then? Look, to be saved from sin, hell, and eternal wrath, you have to understand certain truths. You have to. The Bible makes it clear that we're all sinners and sin has drastic and eternal wages. Death And not just physical death, but eternal punishment and dying. See, sin not only separates us from God, but it condemns us all to hell, which is indeed the just punishment for sin. You ask, how is that just and how is that right? Hell for just one sin? Well, such a question shows us that we don't understand the concept of true holiness. And we also don't understand how heinous sin really is to our holy God. But this might help. See, our God is an infinite and eternal God, and sin against an infinite and eternal God demands infinite and eternal payment or wages. Hell forever, eternal separation from God. Therefore, either we pay the price of our sin for an infinite amount of time in hell, or an infinite and worthy one pays for our sin once. And that's exactly what Jesus, God the Son, did on the cross for all who believe. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that means that on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin ever committed by every person who would ever believe, even though he committed none. It means that on the cross, The believer's sin was not only put onto Christ as our substitute, but that he was punished for all that sick and horrendous sin. Why? So that we who believe wouldn't have to be punished. So that we who believe could instead be forgiven, cleansed, and go to heaven instead of hell because of Christ and who he is and what he did in our place on that cross as believers. And you know what? You have to know this. And you have to believe this, head and heart, in order to be truly saved. And Apollos didn't know it over 20 years after Christ died and rose again. So what happened? Well, God made sure that Apollos made his way to Ephesus and met with these two wonderful souls, Aquila and Priscilla. See? So second, Aquila and Priscilla explained the truth to Apollos more accurately. Look what happened. Apollos came to Ephesus, and look what he did. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. This guy is awesome, isn't he? you got to love Apollos. Like Paul, Apollos arrives and he preaches. And look, he's bold. How much more us today, again, who have full information. See, Apollos challenges us, does he not? The word used here for bold means to be confident, specifically when it comes to speaking. It reflects the attitude of confidence that stems from freedom and a lack of fear in what you say. 
See, Apollos didn't water down the truth out of fear, no, but he boldly proclaimed the truth of the Word of God, specifically the Old Testament, with confidence, with boldness, with conviction. Courageously, fearly, fearlessly, confidently. How does that happen? It happens when your confidence is in God and His Word. And as Apollos was preaching the Old Testament to the people, guess what? He was full of confidence because he knew that what he was saying was biblical, and it was. And again, even though he needed to know the rest of God's revelation about Christ, he was completely confident that what he was preaching was indeed the Word of God. And when you know that what you're preaching is the Word of God, you can and you should be very confident. Hey, why are you mad at me? Why are you mad at me? It's not me who said it, it's God, so, so take it up with God, see. 3,000 years ago in the Valley of Elah, a massive man named Goliath of Goth, Gath stood, uh, stepped out on, uh, of the Philistine ranks to defy and taunt the army of Israel and its God. For 40 days he taunted the Israelite warriors, heaping shame on them, since none dared to accept his fight to the death, winner-take-all challenge. Every morning when he stepped forward, the men of God shrank back. But then look, a teenage Hebrew shepherd named David showed up in the camp with some bread and cheese for his soldier big brothers, and he heard that giant pour out his scorn against the Lord and the Lord's people. And David, man, David was indignant. So he took his shepherd's sling He grabbed a few stones. He knocked Goliath in the forehead with a rock from his sling. And then he chopped off Goliath's head. Where did David get the courage and boldness to do this? I mean, the Philistine champion was about nine feet tall and he was incredibly strong. As one said, he was a highly trained, experienced massacre machine who had sent many opponents to meet their maker. And physically, every man in the Hebrew camp was outclassed, and fighting Goliath looked like suicide, plain and simple. But not to David, who was as physically outclassed as anyone else. So what made David different? Here's what made David different. What fueled David's courage was his confidence in God. See, he trusted God. He knew God. He remembered how God had helped him in the past, and he was not self-confident, no, but he was God-confident. See, David saw God as bigger and stronger than that fearful Philistine. And like David, Apollos was bold because he knew that what God said was true, and he knew that what he preached was indeed God's inspired word. Bold. And again, How much more us in Christ today who have the Spirit of God living inside of us and who have full information. Apollos had partial information and he was bold. How much more us today, see? Well, Aquila and Priscilla were there. Why? Obviously, they're there for evangelism in the synagogue. And look, they heard him. What did they do? (laughs) They evangelized him. They took him aside. And they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Isn't that great? Hey, uh, Apollos, come over here. Let's have a talk. Apollos, we love your knowledge. And we love your love for God's word. And we love your fervency. And we love your boldness, Apollos. Now, Apollos, you're right on when you say that Jesus is the Messiah. But did you hear about what happened to him? No? No? Well, we know. Let's tell it 
tell you about that. And so they told Apollos about the cross and what happened there and what that means for us who believe. And then they would have told him about the resurrection and how that verified everything that happened on the cross. And it had to have blown Apollos away. What? How did I not know this? Because the news hadn't spread to where he was at yet. But now it's spread. And now he knows And now he has full knowledge about the truth of the gospel of the good news that saves from wrath. You think Apollos was happy? Come on, he he was eagerly anticipating this and now he knows and it's the best message in the history of the world. See, Apollos was reading half the book and it's a good half. But the second half of the book is the best part and now Apollos knows the full and beautiful story, the gospel. Good news Jesus truly saves, and he can even save your lost and desperate soul because of who he was and because of what he did on that cross. And then, of course, three days later, because he rose from the dead. I believe this is where Apollos became a true Christian. And even though he was an incredible man of, uh, man of before, he is now a man with God the Spirit living inside of him, helping and empowering him for life and ministry which the Spirit does for every true believer today. So now what? Fourth, Apollos came to Achaia, and he greatly helped those who believe. Verses 27 and 28. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren rode, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So so now what for Apollos? That save man who had the Spirit of God inside of him now. What now? Well, go out and minister. That's what. you got to love this guy. You know where Achaia is, right? Look at the map. It's way over there to the west. Ta-da! Corinth is in Achaia. I think this is how things went down. Aquila and Priscilla are ministering to Apollos, and he's eating it up. He already knows the Old Testament and he's eager to learn more about Jesus and and what living out the faith truly means. And this guy, man, he is a sponge. And soon, hey, I want to spread the good news. I want to have an impact. I want to redeem the time as best I can for the glory of God. So what do you recommend? Easy, says Aquila and Priscilla. Easy, Corinth. Remember, Aquila and Priscilla came from Corinth with Paul not long before, and the need is incredibly great in Corinth. And even though Timothy was left behind there, and even though there is a church there, man, do they struggle with worldliness and compromise in Corinth. And they could use some encouragement, some great encouragement in the Lord from a, a, a bold, passionate man of God. Done! I'm out of here! <laughs> and off he went. And so, Aquila and Priscilla, along with the Christians there in Ephesus, they wrote a letter (coughs) that told the Christians in Achaia, in Corinth specifically, to receive Apollos. This guy, he's a real deal. Receive him, (coughs) welcome him, listen to him. We vouch for him. So he took that letter and off he went to Achaia. What did he do there? Two things. First, he helped those who believed through grace. (laughs) Isn't that good? And that's the only way someone will come to saving faith. The, the grace of God, right? Because of his unmerited favor that awakens them to his truth. And God has to do it. It's so good. But, 
But Apollos helped the Christians there, and that's a wonderful ministry for every believer, is it not? What's this tell us? Yeah, the believers need help. The believers need all kinds of help. Isn't that true? Don't we know that? Like what? Uh, Helping people understand the scriptures and how to live them out in our daily lives. What about encouragement? Don't we all need encouragement to keep going, to stay faithful, to stay focused, to to keep battling sin, to pray more, to read the word more, to stay in fellowship and and so on? Hey, sometimes Christians get discouraged in life because life is hard sometimes. And Christians need encouragement from one another. Don't waver. Use this pandemic to glorify God. Lift Christ high in the darkness. Be strong. Be faithful. Trust God. Don't fear. Don't we need that? What about godly counsel? Yeah, of course we all need good help, wise help, biblical help, and we're called to give it to one another. See, we're to take an interest in people just like Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos and Paul. Also, we're to show hospitality. We're to be warm and friendly and helpful. We're to serve in ministry for the betterment of this body and so on. See, we're not here only to be served, good as that is, but we're here to be, uh, we're here to serve the saints and to be useful and helpful to one another for the glory of God because that has eternal value. Building one another up, encouraging one another, calling one another, praying for one another, loving one another, coming alongside one another and so on. What about you? Well, Apollos did that for the Christians in Corinth and he's a great example for us today. Second, Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scripture that Jesus is the Christ. So, as Apollos is blessing the church, which we're all called to do, he's also evangelizing the lost, which we're also all called to do. He gets it, doesn't he? This guy gets it vigorously, vehemently, passionately. He took the Old Testament and just prove that Jesus was the Messiah, and he did it resoundingly. In other words, he crushed the opponents by his arguments. He totally refuted them at every point. His aim? Not to win the argument, but to win souls. And God certainly used Apollos to do that. So he's encouraging the faithful, and he's evangelizing the lost. He gets it. Lord, help us to learn from him today. Hey, we need each other. And guess what? You can have an eternal impact for God's glory when you help and encourage other Christians in their faith. So come on, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Also, the lost need to see and hear the good news of Christ. And God has put many lost souls in your path. Friends, family, co-workers, people at the gym, people at Costco. Lost souls are all around us. And we're on a mission from God. To shine His light to them. To share His truth with them. To sound the trumpet of warning to them. And this is not only our calling, but it's our responsibility and it's our privilege to do that. How are you doing? Is Christ pleased? Is God glorified by your witness? Can those around you see Christ in you? And do they know the good news because they have been around you? May God speak to our hearts today and may we learn greatly from Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your amazing word of truth. I pray that we would just eat this up, that it would go into our heads and into our hearts, and that it would reveal out of our lives in tangible ways, Lord. 
Help us, Lord. Have your hand on Faith Community Church, Lord. I pray that that we would rise to the occasion, that uh, we wouldn't get discouraged by all these changes that keep coming, but that we would earnestly, even more now, lift you high. Lord, show us how we can do that. Help us to encourage one another. Use us to be a bright light in a dark world and help us to be full of faith and full of passion because we have the privilege of shining your light in the midst of this darkness. May we shine it brightly. Bless Faith Community Church. Bless the souls that are here. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We lift you high now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.